Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Yes She Can Project. I currently have something in my throat. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by the gorgeous Helen Ward. Hello, Helen. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? Apart from your frog in your throat. I know. What's happening? Right, I'm going to take a drink. Let's carry on. Let's have a drink. That's the start. Mm. I was going to go on. So shame yeah. it's not gin and tonic. Never mind. Yeah, definitely. It's a bit too early for that, I think. <laughs> um, so for anybody who doesn't know you, could you just give us a brief introduction into who you are and what you do, please? Yes. Well, I am the, along with my husband, Richard, the co-founder of one of the largest independent hair and beauty salons in the country, employing mm-hmm. um, just short of 100 staff. Um, so Richard's very much the front man and I'm very much the business behind and we started by buying a bankrupt business 30 years ago okay Uh, we've sort of grown that into a brand we have a brush called tangle angel which we sell in 40 countries we have a product line which we um of wet goods so that's shampoos and conditioning things and i sort of work mainly on that as well okay Uh, and that's good fun uh, and I also do other things in the hair and beauty industry. I do consultancy okay. and got other involvements in things that are part of the hair and beauty industry. So really, it's the business of the hair and beauty sector that yeah. is my speciality. OK, brilliant. So you um, so you started in the, the salon, well, salon industry and um, back in your yeah. teens. Um, was was that like a conscious move for you or did you kind of fall into it unexpectedly? Well, that's so interesting. Also, that. It, it was really unconscious. My mum was a hairdresser okay. and my dad um, was the managing director of a chain of department stores. And I ended up doing a hairdressing traineeship in a department store. So oh. sort of <laughs> but I didn't really want to be a hairdresser. Right. Um my parents split up um, and financially things were a bit tight. So staying on at school was never an option, although um, the, the head of fifth form said after to my mum, oh, don't tell me she's going to leave school and go and do something stupid like hairdressing. Obviously not uh-huh. knowing to a hairdresser. <laughs> awkward. But, I know, very awkward. I think I would have probably liked to have gone to uni and, and done something like that. But it, it wasn't, you know, I'm talking, you know, 40 years ago it wasn't really an option so I had to go out to work and I sort of swept the floor after school my mum where my mum worked and washed hair and I'd always sort of work like that so I just thought oh I might as well do a be a hairstylist then but I was I'm a dreadful hairdresser I'm I'm absolutely dreadful so but what I did I suppose um because I had the gift of the gab I built up this astonishing clientele because I was just friendly and you know I loved all my clients but I'm, I'm not a very good hairdresser I can do my own hair which is handy um, and I still cut my mum's hair which is quite easy because she's 82 so she doesn't care um, bless her but so I sort of um, after a couple of years of being on the floor I realised I, w- I loved the industry but I didn't like the job and then I suddenly realised I could actually run a shop and actually get involved in the finances and all the stuff that really interested me more in the business side. So um, I was salon manager at sort of 20 years old, managing oh a team of people. And they, in six months, I doubled the turnover of the salon. So they very quickly promoted me up to a regional director. So I went all over the UK Um you know, with a company car and a brick of a mobile phone and learnt the industry and learnt the business side of things in all the department stores. So um, I suppose when I sort of met Richard and we ended up buying a bankrupt business, um, I suppose I sort of wanted really just to have one big unit because I'd sort of get in the car and I'd leave you know, wherever I was, bins in Newcastle and everything would be fine. And I'd get halfway down the M6 and, you know, someone's handed their notice in and the store manager didn't like X, Y, Z. And I realised that I didn't want lots of different businesses. I wanted one big business where I could go in, focus, impact it, yeah, mm-hmm. make changes, run it and then leave it, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. So we bought a bankrupt business. Um 
1992, we had like five people working for us, all five of whom still work for us today, which is amazing. And they're a part of our core team. And we just slowly, I suppose, with his hairdressing skill and, and my, what I'd learned, what I'd learned. The business the, acumen, yeah. Is and what had to be what. I, we made the changes slowly. But, you know, it was really tough. It was very mm-hmm. hard. We were, you know, we bought a big business. It was 5,000 square feet even then. Wow. And, um, but it was losing five grand a week. And that was in nineteen mm-hmm. two. That, that was a hell of a lot of money. But what, um, what made you take that decision, especially because it it was going bankrupt? How scary was that for you? Well, it had gone bankrupt and oh. it had worked in it when it had gone bankrupt. So we knew that actually um, this amazing, you know, we had a beautiful staircase, which was worth oh, like, you know, they spent 500 grand on it. So wow. we knew we will never get a start like that again to buy okay. something key but we didn't have long to turn it around so my oh, dad gosh. left me my half of the money and Richard had been saving up to buy a flat so he put his half the money in and we just didn't have very long to sort it out so we had to gotcha. move back. um but it was just silly things like they were sort of you know they had this towel service and you laugh at it now but that was two thousand pounds a month where they would deliver the towels launder them pick them up at the end of the day and bring them back the next day well that was two grand a month well the first wow. thing I did was buy some personal and a washing machine and some towels. <laughs> just stuff like that <laughs> but you know after I mean we we cleaned the floor ourselves with our core team for like five years we, we didn't yeah. even we, we didn't turn a profit really for a good three or four or five years and then we had to pay back that yeah um with interest by the way which I wanted to, <laughs> um not that he wanted it but I wanted to mm. and then slowly we sort of you know it's a, it take it's turning a business around like that that's gone under mm-hmm. it's very difficult I think because it's like turning an oil t- tanker you know yeah. it, 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 all those don't jackknife <laughs> exactly but all the little movements eventually get it to turn yeah it's not necessarily always one particular thing you do, but it's a culmination of all those little things that add up to the turn. So it's just having the, the faith, I suppose, and the um, self-belief to go through it. And I think when you're young, we didn't have children or anything. We didn't have a mortgage. We didn't own our own home. You, you know, think so- you can accomplish anything, though, don't you, when you're young? That like fear factor and responsibility kind of goes. There's no fear factor and there's no responsibility. You've hit the nail on the head. So when you get to sort of my age, I'm 55 now, you know, you don't want to be taking any chances right. because you you have a real understanding that if you get it wrong, that's going to impact your pension and your this and your that. And, and your kids, kids. yeah. <laughs> exactly. One of who's oh. just texting me now. Oh. Um, <laughs> Isn't it never that, ends does it it never I don't know how old your kids are mine are 18 and 21 but they, they never seem to never not need you yeah mine are 18 and 9 it's like it's such a massive age gap it's crazy wow. um so with with you taking on that kind of challenge was there was there any part of you that maybe knew in the back of your mind that you could make a good go of it simply because of your experience with all of the managerial side of things and Richard's yeah. with his obviously skill and expertise did it did you know at that time that it was like a perfect match absolutely I never had any doubts nor did he ah. what we were worried about was whether we had whether we could get the changes made quickly enough to sustain the losses okay. while yeah. we were all these things into practice but it's funny even now even through covid and steering the business through covid when so many businesses in our sector big big names have gone under yeah i've never not thought we're going to be okay it's really weird oh. and i uh, there's a you know i'm very much into spirituality and mm-hmm. and you know self-belief and positive thinking and i when I in my heart of hearts when I know I'm doing something for the right reason I always get the right result and if I have that self-belief but if but I've learned at my age if I've got a doubt and I listen to the doubt if I ignore that you know that's a big mistake to ignore that 
So it's honing your intuition. But my intuition really always told me we were going to make it. It's just whether or not we had time. Was it was there a certain cut-off time that you knew that you had to turn it around? Well, yeah, I remember sitting one day with my my dad came up to look at the finances for us, and you know he sort of he he sort of said to me, you know, you need to hurry up. <laughs> that, that really terrified me. So then what we did, we got involved with um, the clothes show live. We're doing an exhibition in our court, and we just. Because the salon we bought was very traditional, you know, it was a very sort of conventional salon. We knew we needed to get new customers into it. So we went and just threw out 50% discount cards into the order. I'd never recommend anyone does that now. But, <laughs> but my God, it sort of saved us. And then what, you know, we sort of honed down our team and just said, you know, this, these new customers that come in and, and sort of say every day to my current team, you know, they're so precious. You get one chance to look after them and get them to come back again. So that really brought a bit of a, a fresh injection in. And that that really helped us make the changes. And by then, the, the, the other things that we'd done had started we to make through. So we slowly saw that turn. And it was, yeah, yeah it came just in time. Because you, Helen, uh, like renowned in the industry for being like one of the most well-respected highly experienced like business gurus when it comes to salons in the UK do you use do you like draw on all of the experience that you've had over the years to can you go into somewhere almost like you know like the hotel inspector or like kitchen nightmares or something can you go in and can you see straight away the things that needs to be changed because of your experience I think I can. You know, the thing is, all my years on the road, so I'd be running like a salon, like we had a salon. I'm still in touch with Claire, who was my salon manager, who opened her own salon, but Army and Navy Eastbourne that had two staff. And then I'd go up to Kendall's Manchester that had 102 staff, you know. And the issues were all the same. The issues were the same, whatever. So I think I sort of learned pretty quickly. And I, I wrote three textbooks that became the framework for the... Um, qualification for the city and guilds um diploma in salon management i think it's called that salon management um anyway and those three textbooks were pretty much everything i'd learned uh, in, in all the years and um and that's what i teach and educate and i mean i think what's interesting is how difficult the how difficult and different the industry is now post covid than it was just two or three years ago. But the issues are very often the same. I mean, some of the issues the, the, the sector are facing now is a shift towards self-employment. And I've set up Salon Employers Association and we've just become a, a member, a the first trade association to be uh, granted a membership from, from the CBI in our sector last Friday. So I'm so chuffed about Congratulations. that. Yeah, it's fab. So we've just set it up just basically to help people like us yeah. that are trying to run the conventional employees in the hair mm -hmm. and beauty, which is diminishing because there's a real move towards self-employment post-COVID. The trouble okay. with the long-term implication for the sector is that only people that run a PAYE scheme can employ apprentices. Um, so if the whole industry moves towards self-employment renting a chair and everything else the customer's not necessarily going to realize when they come in this person's renting a chair whereas they used to be employed but the the owner then becomes sort of more of a glorified landlord and then cannot employ apprentices so the worry is for the sector long term that you know i've got 20 apprentices at the moment and there are future hairdressers because yes. you can't really learn our profession as well at a cause of college. No, I don't think so. Doing an apprenticeship on the salon floor. Mm. You know, if you look at the hairdressing family tree, you know, uh, you know, um, John Frieda used to work for Vidal Sassoon and was his apprentice. Okay. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And we have that in our in our trade, you know, in our shop as well. So if we don't have apprentices 
the industry is really going to not necessarily feel it so much in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to be a really, a real difficult issue. And there won't be a way to overcome it. And that's a worry because we're, as a sector, we're one of the largest employer of young, of youngsters that are training on the shop floor. So I think that's where sort of pricked up the ears of the CBI. And we're just saying we have to be protected. And so we need, you know, there's so much talk about levelling up at the moment. Well, well, we need that to be a fair platform so that tax-wise, you're not worse off by having employees. What, why, what do you think uh, specifically has caused that shift to go from employed to self-employed? Oh. Really good question. I think it's a sort of a little bit of COVID where people were working from home and a lot of clients, you know, breached lockdown, which which got me really angry. I was on the telly quite a lot ranting about this, you know. Oh, well, I'm having my hair done in the garden. You know, I've got a, g- a girl coming around to the garden. Well, well, OK. So so that it was partly that because all of those that sort of were going freelance thought well why do I need to go back to work I can just work for myself work the hours I like go freelance of course having your hair cut in someone's garden or going to their shed at the end of their garden is not the same experience as going to a lovely salon and having a wonderful experience of course yeah. it is. but there's a little bit of that and then I think together with that there was this very much a move for people to um you know we've had it at work you know and sort of this is a bit of tongue-in-cheek but you know somebody saying oh actually I'd like to read I want to be a vet on a Thursday now so I'm going back to college to do that there's a lot of um Covid sort of analyzing life and deciding that actually I want to be an refocusing regrouping (laughs) you know Mm. so there was a lot of that as well and then we didn't get the VAT reduction that hospitality got. So all the time we were closed, as campaign. A, we were the only sector that was still having to pay our rent and our landlords, even though we had zero income through COVID. We can't put what we sell on the back of a bike and we don't make online sales because if you want to buy a shampoo, you're going to go to look fantastic. You're not going to go to Joe Bloggs's website. So, you know, we were really stung. We were still paying VAT at 20%, even though we don't sell goods, we sell time. Um, And we were still paying, you know, we still need our shops. So really, as an industry, as a sector, we're incomparable. There is nobody that compares to us. If you had restaurant A and restaurant B, and one was employing staff and one was putting everyone self-employed, there'd be outcry. Yet that's what's happening in our industry. So... um, yeah covid has changed it massively and and i'm not saying that it's wrong to want to you know be a freelancer or i've always supported freelance but but the it's doing the chair rental and then having people that are really technically employed because you're telling them you know i need you to work 10 till 6 and you can only you know work tuesday to friday blah blah blah. well they're they're an employee then they're not self-employed so until there's an IR35 test case against our industry, which, you know, if we call for it, then we, it's difficult. And the VAT threshold doesn't help as well because, you know, our VAT threshold is quite high at £85,000 a year. So there's a lot of incentive in our industry to stay under it. Yeah, definitely. And plus the fact as well, though, you touched upon it, going to, it's, it's kind of, it's so damaging to the industry because, you can't just you don't want to just go and get your haircut in somebody's shed like you say it's not about the haircut especially not for your salon and the things that you've built up you you are providing a whole experience a whole a whole time of how can i say like pampering and making that person feel really special for that amount of time and it goes deeper than just the hair doesn't it it goes it's so right you know if you look back at lockdown there were so many what was the thing that was talked about the most not being able to get your head on not being able yeah. to get but, <laughs> but you know it, what you're saying is so true because I think what we realized in lockdown was actually emotional well-being mental health for some of our clients mm-hmm. we are not just performing great hair great beauty I mean we do holistic 
things in the salon and all yeah. alternative things such as Reiki, acupuncture and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a massive increase in yeah. customers who want those sort of treatments. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not just about how you look, but how you feel. And, yeah. and hair is our, you know, everybody says it. I mean, you've got great hair, but everyone says it. You know, you go to your hair, just like going to see your shrink. It's not just about your hair done and, and lying down at the back wash and having a beautiful relaxing treatment you do mm. feel amazing I didn't see my mum for a couple of weeks and I went down last week to see her and I cut her hair and she she messaged me the next day now this is a hairdresser telling her daughter but you know I can't tell you what a different person I feel today than I felt yesterday and I think I think people really forget the significance and the impact, the positive impact it has on your mental health too. Even yeah. if even if you're taking out that hour, couple of hours for yourself, that's you know we don't know what's going on in people's lives. Us obviously as busy women and business owners, to have that time to take away, you wouldn't get that if you were sat there in your own house or if you were sat there in no. someone else's house because you're still working. So and you're that, not. It's thing, are you? It's yeah. This- that we need it's like that oh gosh you and when your hair is done you do feel fantastic. you do it's like you walk around like this <laughs> don't you you do I mean if you've had flu or something and then you're lying in bed do you remember that you know when you have that first day out of bed where you wash your hair and you blow dry and you feel yes. better it's mm-hmm. like a marker for okay I'm on the mend now I've yeah. washed my hair feel better put some makeup on I feel okay mm-hmm. now I think I think we just I think we underestimate the the salon experience and I think that's so crucial to to what you do in particular um is that you you don't just offer it's not about just the the treatments it's it is about providing that time for that person and it's about you know we have a receptionist uh, we have uh, we have a, a brilliant team where our yeah. length of service is just it's like like it's n- nudging on 20 years as an average oh. thing yeah now what that gives customers we had a client ring up the other day and Lou who's one of our been with us 26 27 years she wow. basically and she said to the lady before the lady said what her name was she said oh is that Mrs. Santo I mean where do you get that you don't get that yeah. anywhere you don't even get that it's the bank manager there's no relation no based businesses and ours is very much a relationship-based business yeah but it's not just about that experience it's about coming in and everyone going oh hi how are you and seeing the same faces mm-hmm. and comment on that more than anything else your team never changes they're all still here they all remember me they all say hello to me now you can't underestimate how good that makes people feel Definitely. And going through different periods of their life as well. And especially like the older generation, they have suffered so much um, with isolation and things like that. So, you know, to welcome them back like that must must have just been incredible. It was it was really lovely. It was it was great to see them Mm -hmm. back. But the only trouble is the problem that COVID has caused our sector as well is that everyone's on the same cycle. It's leveling off now. But we'd have sounds would be really busy for three mm-hmm. weeks and then six weeks later you know it would be quite and then it, and then and then on the seventh week really busy again of course everyone was on the same timing cycled yeah mm-hmm. and that honestly that's something that came to me the other day as a bit of a eureka moment mm-hmm. it's off now but it, that's what happened so we were like we I mean, we were, we had clients, daggers trying to get an appointment with each other, you know, daggers <laughs> outside. I was here before you. And oh then we, we, so we had everyone it was just one. <laughs> on the same cycle. So, oh, oh. Well, not only with everything that you do, Helen, you're also the um, vice president of the British Association of Women Entrepreneurs. Reading about that has been so exciting. And I'd love for you to tell the listeners more about that. Oh yeah, Bowie. Well, of course, I'm a ba- I'm a Bowie fan, so we call it Bowie as well. So it's just like you know, this is my thing. It's meant for me. So Bowie has a really wonderful history. So it's part of FCEM Mondial, which was basically started in France after the Second World War as a business network for the w- women whose husband had husbands had been killed in the war and they were left running businesses factories shoe shops bakeries and they didn't know what to do they were housewives you know 
So they started a little support network and that was the beginning of it. Now, I I love anything with really good pro provenance like that. And, and so to see that incarnation now, so yes, I'm vice president of the, of the UK arm of that. Um, we have a Scotland one as well. Um, and it's really, really worthwhile. We meet with across all different industries. I mean, literally the most diverse group of people. And we have lunch and we have speakers and we have Zooms and, and we share stories and we mentor um, young women that are, you know, from any sector that are starting up and haven't got anyone to sound off against. So it's a really worthwhile, it's an invitation only thing. Um, and yeah, we like to keep it really diverse. I mean, Louise, who's our president, She's in financial services. We've got authors. We've got um, our new member is Arini, um, who won MasterChef. You know, the, uh, Arini, uh, who, the, the Greek lady that she's just launched her own cookbook and she's hoping to do some TV um, to go all around Greece and, and get find out where her inspiration came from. So, you know, she was our speaker for our last lunch we had. And just hearing her life story, how she made a complete career change at 60, went on MasterChef, won it, started a cookbook. <laughs> you know, amazing people, very inspirational. So I really love doing that. The other thing that I do in my spare time is I'm... Spare vice time? When do you get any? <laughs> I'm vice president of, the, uh, of our industry cha charity, the Hair and Beauty Charity. And that is... I've been involved with that since 2005. I've been on the board of it. So I'm one of the trustees and director and vice president of it. And through lockdown, we had to Zoom every week. We'd normally meet once a month, but we had so many, I mean, horrendous calls for support that were just, I mean, people that, you know, victims of, that work in the sector, victims of domestic violence and, um, people just going to food banks and just having no income, you know, and so that's really close to my heart. I, I love I love my work on that. Not only, obviously, you take part in these amazing organisations, you're also, um, like, a business mentor, like we spoke about before. Um, could you tell us more about your Salon Reboot scheme? Because I've, I've got a lot of listeners that are... Um, hair and beauty industry yes so I basically do education um and I do it through L'Oreal who I who I work with um and so those were sort of some courses that I did with them um I, I tend to do new sort of content every year but the live education thing you know I don't know about you find this but being having your own business can be quite lonely and actually <laughs> just want to go and, and just hear and sit in a room and just hear, yep, I've got the same problem as you. Yeah. doesn't matter that I turn over £5 million a year because four million .4 million is going back out again. So my percentages are the same as yours and I've got exactly the same issue with exactly mm -hmm. some of my members. And just hearing that you are not alone yeah. is really important so that education is something that I do with them and so we're just doing some planning some new content for next year but I, I do like that side of my business and I have a consultancy which I do so I just take on a couple of private clients and I have one that um uh, a girl that I'm working with at the moment who's very ambitious to grow her business and she's growing it really really well she's so ambitious that I'm sort of holding you know, in a bit <laughs> now, so whoa hold on let's just get one thing really really working well and then we'll then we can move yeah. on um so yeah just like a sounding board really just just and I think the thing is when I speak at conferences and things like that I often get asked to tell my story and I, I think it's really important to say this is all the things I got wrong because people don't want to hear you're really successful, you're doing it all really well. Well, of course they want that, but they also want to hear how did you, what was so difficult? Okay. How did you do it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you, did you have days when you were crying? I, I never forget, I went to hear someone speaking at a conference once, and she's the owner of a massive brand. Yeah. And just basically stood there and 
told everyone how much money she turned over, how much she sold it for, blah, 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 how fantastic mm-hmm. everything was. And she told a bit of a story about how one night it was her and her husband at the kitchen table, like crying because they had a problem, but they sorted it out. Oh. And I was like, no, everyone <laughs> in this room wants to know what were you crying about? Yeah, how did you do it? What happened? How long did you feel like crap for? Because actually when we're feeling like crap, when we're going, oh, we don't know what to do, that's what, that is what we're going to take away from that. We're not going to take out how wonderful you are and how many millions you sold your company for. No one's going to take that out. Exactly, because it seems when when you're an entrepreneur and when you're trying to grow your business and um, experiencing the problems, you kind of feel like when you see somebody, it's wonderful to see how well they've been successful and things like that. But it's so unreachable if you can't find something within their journey and within their story that you can relate to. It can really alienate you. It can actually really send you on a, a bit of a spiral down. Definitely. Oh, well, what am I doing? I must be a prat then because I yeah. can't make it work. I, you know, it's, I'm mm-hmm. finding it really hard where she obviously found it so easy. You know, and it's, that's not reality, is it? That's the thing. And actually afterwards I said to her, you know what? I'd, I'd really like to hear what you did at that kitchen table and yeah. how you is and what happened to turn it around and don't go from that to selling it for millions it's Mm -hmm. that middle that's the bit that everyone wants to hear yeah and that's the bit that's the most important because that's the bit that shows resilience determination and you know things like that I watched that film King Richard last night and that's Richard Williams and um the father of Venus and Serena Williams and their story and he there was a whole bit of the uh, there was a whole bit where it was a first competitive proper tennis match when Venus Williams was was fourteen, and she was playing Arantxa Sanchez Vicario, who was the the number one seeded player in the world at the time, and they showed the whole match because she lost it. She lost the match, and it showed that how her mindset then took her on. So they shut. They focused on the bit that she got wrong. And, and, and what she learned from that to then go on. And I, it's the same sort of thing. That's what makes it interesting. Absolutely. And that's the bit that you'll remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Helen, you do so much. <laughs> I don't know how you find the time, um, but you do so much. Is there is there any particular arm of what you do that you enjoy the most? Um, and if so, why is that? Uh, you know what? I think it's the ch- charity work I really love um, at, that isn't my day job because, okay. because I think really helping people. I mean, we had a trustees meeting last week and our chairman, Philip, who I love dearly, is the ex-chairman of Vita Sassoon. He's like, mm, I don't, I'm not sure we should put the beneficiaries amounts up. And I said, Philip, you know, cost of living crisis. Let's just double it let's just you know come on let's just put some noughts on the end of this stuff um reading a mum that couldn't feed her children and couldn't afford to buy her baby a bed and the baby was still in a cot because she couldn't afford to buy bed. you know that is really I don't know maybe she'd get older but that that feels really nice to to actually make a difference and have have the have the um wherewithal to to decide right we're doing that we're just going to give them more money because they need it so I love that I love working on our I mean look I couldn't work from home I mean I, I really envy anyone that can work from home but part of my job is to go into the salon and even if I'm sitting at my desk you know saying hi to everyone listening to all the banter the chat saying hello to the clients as I'm walking through to the bar to get a drink or something. Having that connection, isn't it? That personal connection. I really need that. And the other thing is, I think people in the hair and beauty industry, they they tend to really need that. If they're not, if they've been behind a chair or in a treatment room and they come out of that, they tend to still want to be in the salon somewhere, you know. So yes, I could sit here now, type away from home, but I want to be in there and, having where it's at don't you what everyone's wearing and saying hi to everyone and I don't think that'll ever leave me I, I I do love my job I think it's really important to um especially when you have kids 
you know, to, to sort of really, I've always been very good at compartmentalizing my life. If it's a work day, it's a work day. I don't listen to emails about bake sales, you know, when they were younger. Uh, well, even now, um, if it's a if it's a if it's a day off, then I'm not going to look at my work emails. I'm I'm a mum. I'm going to do the school run. I'm going to do the bake sale. I'm going to do the rest of it. So um, I've always been. That's quite your good managerial experience. You're able to kind of manage yourself better. Yes. And I also prefer that, you know, I, I'm not, although I'm multitasker and I am a good multitasker, I always prefer just to have that split. So I'd rather come into work, work three days a week like I do now, work really hard, do the work of five days in three days, then on my days off, leave me alone. You know, I try, I try yeah. and do that. <laughs> But life gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it? It's difficult. <laughs> whatsapp groups because in the salon because we've got so many staff there's like 14 whatsapp groups and i'm on all of oh them oh my gosh messages all the time about you know we've got training on a new bleach on tuesday night and i'm thinking oh okay. <laughs> so yeah Aww. but it, i like to be busy definitely i think i think because you've always been busy from like your teens it would be odd not to be busy. So I think you're going to struggle when it comes to retirement, aren't you? It's so am. And our daughter is, you know, seriously thinking she might want to take the business over when she finishes uni. And she's doing an internship at the moment with a big uh, industry brand. And it'll be really interesting because when it's a family business, which is what we are, you know, you do have a bit of the how, when do you let, mum and dad let go of the reins you know there'll be a bit of that and I suppose I've got to watch her make her mistakes if she does take it over um or if the rest of the difficult they I'm gonna have to sit back and just watch them I suppose it's like riding a bike isn't it you can have all watch all the videos in the world but until you get on and crash into the wall you're not going to know how to do it (laughs) exactly um the past few years Helen have obviously undoubtedly been so so difficult for you guys and the industry as a whole um what would you say has been your biggest challenge so far like or the biggest lesson that you've learned that's, that's come out of everything I think I think you really need to have you really needed to have balls of steel to have a business in COVID in our sector. And yeah. I think I really learned that I you know when you're worrying about everybody else's mental health and how well everyone else is and if are they okay, you yeah. tend to forget about your own. And and actually I needed to be really strong through COVID and it's hard because you've got personal stuff going on and, and, you know, maybe you're having a crap time. I think what I learned is our business had got very big. I wouldn't change COVID. I think it had got, it had got, we all say now, our close management team, that it probably got a bit too big, you know, and I think the pared down version, which is much tighter. I feel like I'm running a tighter ship now, a better ship. And I think that it, I sort of, it's refocused my mind to say, actually, we don't need that. And we don't need that. We need a core group of people. And also, I think. Such an honest thing to say. Yeah, I think I've quite, yeah. So I just think paring it down, Mm -hmm. we're leaner, we're meaner, and we're stronger because of it. Yeah tough as it was but you know ego can really get in the way sometimes and And I think you can run on that roller coaster can't you and it can be hard to get off especially when things are going well and it it can kind of snowball quickly out of your control sometimes can't it yeah and I think I've always really understood it's about the percentages it doesn't really matter whether you're turning over that or that or that it's your percentages obviously we all want to turn over that but you know, as long as your percentages are right. And I think we caught, we took it all back to basics. I think we used lockdown. We rewrote our whole HR. We reevaluated our brand. We reevaluated our team. We all, you know, decided it was a good thing. 
what happened. It was a good thing. Um, it gave yeah. you that time to focus on things to such an in-depth level that you wouldn't have had before. In that first lockdown, shall we wrote rewrote our HR policies. And when you've got 100 staff, that's quite a big thing to do. And it took us a long time. But it's better because of it. And I think now we're, we're a bit more flexible. So we've had a lot. We've I've had um, two or three staff that left in lockdown. One one wanted to spend some more time with her young baby. Another one retrained to be a, an addiction counsellor and was doing that on the side anyway. And, and some of these people have come back and said, actually, I just want to work one or two days a week. And because and I, I miss my clients, I miss the sound, I miss the buzz and I miss the banter, but I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing. So I think people are slowly finding their feet again now. And and I'm very flexible with that because I'm a mum, you know, and I've been flexible. I'm so flexible with all my mums at work. You know, let us know when you want to, the, the way you work as, as a mum, you know, when they're, when they're seven and five, you're going to want to be doing these hours. When they get to eight, you know, it all changes the whole time. So I'm, I'm really, I say to my mums that work all the time, I you get it, yeah. You, you mm-hmm. know, they're young. You're going to want to want to have the whole of August off and the school holidays off, and you know, we'll try and be as accommodating as we can because I've been there, and it will change just like the way you use your house change. You know, you watch these property programs and they're knocking down walls because they want a playroom and I, I keep thinking to myself trust me a short time <laughs> will back up in seven years time that wall will be going back up you'll be <laughs> want to live in one space altogether <laughs> yeah definitely um what would you say Helen has been your biggest highlight I bet it's really hard to choose oh yeah um I'm really quite proud of the work we've just done with Salon Employers Association because that's a non-fee-paying thing. We're all just, you know, doing it in our spare time. Um, doing it because you're passionate. Doing it because we're passionate and doing it for the right reasons. And Again, it comes back to when I do things in my life for the right reasons, I do tend to get the right result. That's taken me a long time to learn that lesson. If I'm doing something out of ego... Even if I'm not an egotistical person, but if I'm doing something just because I think, oh, that's a good, you know, it's never yeah. really. When I do something because it's the right thing to do and mm-hmm. I can think about the right thing to do, it always you works. You can feel it in your gut, can't you? You know. Yeah. Honing your gut as a mum. You know, when you have that gut instinct as a mum, you hear a mum like saying, I knew something was wrong with my son, I took him to the doctor, that the doctor said, no, it's fine, but I knew that. You ignore that as you get older at your peril. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what is coming next for, well, I don't, I don't want to just say you, but you, your brand, your businesses, your mentoring, what's, what's next on the horizon? Um, I, I think I really want to get SEA. I, I really want to go in. I really want to now start to, get this industry on an even keel and safeguard it so there's a lot of work we're doing with the cbi Mm -hmm. we've got the reports we've got to prove to the government that that what we're saying is correct um that's going to be my passion um the products i i love working on them um and they're doing well which before covid unbelievably we took a massive gamble because we took them out of their plastic and put them in aluminium recyclables. And we said to Waitrose, we really feel this is the right thing to do. And they're bigger sizes and they're pumped and the whole thing's recyclable. And, and to be honest, it was we were one of the first brands in our industry to do that and to move away from the plastic. Um, and that was a massive gamble and that's paid off. Again, if you do something for the right reason, you get the right results. So that's really, I love working on that. The salon's sort of going from strength to strength. It's recovering. We're building back up. Um, Just I've got to get my kids off to uni, back to uni. Then watch out, world. I'm going to be empty nest. Oh, bless you. (laughs) You'll never be at home. (laughs) No, I won't be at home much. I mean, I I sort of spend my time between here and and, um, on the south coast as well. And my... I'm in Ibiza, 
which I love. Mm-hmm. So I work like a Trojan, go yeah. there, have a week there, come back, work like a Trojan. Oh, wow. Yeah. It is maybe I'll spend a bit more time there, longer chunks of time. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. You'll come. You'll be browner once the kids have gone to university, won't you? I'll certainly be more revved up on gin. (laughs) Bless you. Uh, So, how can people find out more about you? What you do? Where? Where shall I point them to? So, I have a website called HelenWard.com. Helen with two L's. um, HelenWard.com, and everything I'm up to is on there, including my recent. TV appearances, which was oh horrendous. Oh, um, no. Tell tell me more. Questions <laughs> on Good Morning Britain last week. So what they, when they have one of those debate sections, they like to. So they tend to sort of want the producers ring up and say, "If we were to say this to you, what would you say?" And and okay. if, if you say the right thing, then they very often say, "Okay, well look, we're thinking of having this debate tomorrow. Nothing's ever set in stone because you don't know what news is going to break in the night." So yeah. very often up at five in the morning full makeup on and then got a call to say just had some breaking news debates cancelled oh how um, rude of the breaking news um, right. that happen, which fair enough you know um so we had one recently about um about uh, whether it was too hot to work this was before the oh, massive yeah. wave when it was just becoming slightly hot and uh people were saying there was a, another guy I was on with who was lovely actually but he was saying you know give people the day off and 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 it gets me so angry because I work in a business that that we can't my staff can't work from home and when there was the train strikes you know there was lots of people on the telly saying well it's all right everyone can just work from home well not everyone works on a laptop you know people cut hair we can't do that at home you know and and the trains don't run half the staff can't get to work so I was just saying, you know, oh, come on, really? Taking down, who's going to pay for it? You know, British industry, yes. there's never this quantifiable. It's like, as a boss, I'm responsible for a lot of things. The weather, mm-hmm. no. I you just took this out of my hands. <laughs> no? Anyway, I got I got a bit of trolling. So, but you do that. Oh, oh it's fine. You know, people do it. There, I think there's a lot of angry people in the world. Yeah, very much. I, w- I would say definitely more so after covid as well it's like everyone has an opinion on everything and everyone's taking that anger anger out on everybody else it's just not kind is it you see it a lot and and i you know i know it sounds weird but kindness is is just so underrated a value and so important and just being a kind person you know i don't expect people to all agree with me you can have your own opinion but Mm -hmm. you know can't be gracious about it you know know. you know like even it sounds really daft but sometimes say if I see like somebody walking down the street and I love her skirt or I like her hair then I'll always say something like some people they look at you like you're a weirdo but the ones that take the compliment you can just see how much that lifts them for the day and people have it's so weird you said that, Michelle. The other day, there was this random act of kindness, which is what they call that, isn't it? Which is so yeah. true. So I've got an electric car, and I had to get down to see my mum. And I went to the mm-hmm. station to charge it up, which it should give you a full charge in 40 minutes, and none of the things were working. And I tried all four of them, and I was late for work. I wanted to charge it, bring it back, park it, get ready to just drive straight down to the coast that night. And I was so... My dad is really unwell at the moment. So I, I was just, you know, when you just one silly thing pushes you over the edge and yeah. it's like fourth pump I tried and it didn't work. And I just oh. burst into tears and I just went to the pump attendant and said, you know, how can you have this and it doesn't work? Come on, be mm-hmm. here, help people. Anyway, the next day, next time I went in there to charge my car, the lovely girl that works at the at the coffee uh, place inside yeah. the station, the Costa, yeah she came out with this bouquet of flowers for me and she said I know you last time you were here these for you oh that's so nice but wow what a thing and all day long I just kept thinking oh there are some nice people in the world yeah there really are so you someone's dress or their skirt you know Mm -hmm. my daughter Alicia says to me mommy you never know what people are going through she's just lost one of her 21 year old friends who's committed suicide last week oh. 
who went to the memorial and she said, you never know what people are going through mm-hmm. and you just don't. No. So, you know, we mustn't ever be nasty to people because we don't know what they're going through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's been a few times where somebody's said that to me um, and I've been having a really terrible day, like massively stressful. And they've said, oh, I really like your, I don't know, your top. Where is it from? And then I've told them and then it's just lifted me so much, like not because they're paying me a compliment, but because somebody else in the world has taken that time out just to give me a few seconds and say something nice. It's like you said, it's so underrated, isn't it? Well, you know, Heron Beauty is, is is renowned. There's been so many surveys where it says it's the it's the job with the greatest satisfaction, intrinsic satisfaction factor. And you know, making people feel good about themselves is quite an addictive thing because you everyone that leaves your chair or your couch feels better than when they came in. And that's okay. really so let's spread a bit more of that. I think we need to. A lot of my friends are either beauty therapists or hairdressers, and they say that people really, really underestimate. Like they have a lot of clients that come in and they tell them about their lives because they've got no one else in their life to tell that they trust enough. And you guys in your industry, you build up that trust with people and give them another outlet for you know problems in their life and things well I mean it's a well-known fact I mean it's you hear it time and time again it happened in my mum's when my mum was a, a hairstylist it happened in our salon where the hairdresser has been the one to go I haven't seen that person for a while would somebody yeah. better you know you would never have that anywhere else with any no. other industry I don't think where you'd no. have that even a restaurant it would have a regular maybe that possibly but not to the same degree as we would where we'd go haven't seen that client for a while hope they're mm-hmm. okay know they were feeling a bit crap should we call them yeah Definitely. not because we want to put them in but <laughs> they're okay yeah know? definitely oh helen it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you i could speak to you all day um, <laughs> we should i think we should meet for a gin and tonic Definitely. Let's do that. Well, you take care and I will put in the show notes about um, where everybody can find you um, and especially all my friends because they'll be absolutely desperate to hear this episode. That's for sure. Oh, well, thanks, Michelle. It's been lovely to talk to you. And well done. Yeah, you too. I hope that you do with Yes, You Can. Thank you. Thank you so much.